This is Life I Swear, where we share stories and reflections from Black women about trials in their lives that have helped them heal, connect, and process. Every week, we hold space for storytelling that both challenges and inspires us to be good to ourselves. I'm your host, Chloe Dulce Livueso. In support of Black female voices, every week of this season will highlight a different Black woman-owned brand or organization. These entrepreneurs and visionaries rely on community to expand, so I hope you support. This week, we're highlighting my friends at Dine Diaspora. This month of March, Dine Diaspora is celebrating the contributions of 31 Black women in the food and beverage industry from around the world. These women are trailblazers, game changers, creators, innovators, and culinarians that are shaping women's representation in the industry. Celebrate with us by reading their stories at DineDiaspora.com. So this year, my intention word, the word I claimed for myself, was possibility. In opening ourselves up to what is possible and to be more expansive in what we manifest, we also have to open ourselves up to new experiences, new risks, and especially old fears. Those fears will tell you that you are not qualified. They will silence your creativity and they will have you second-guessing who you are or came to be. But, as Morgan Ashley from the Bohemian brand said last season, fear is a liar. She is a liar. And the reason I'm so wanting to have these conversations around fear is because aside from knowing our fears, understanding why we have them, how they're triggered, and how they change our narrative we have about ourselves is so important to understanding ourselves. So in the spirit of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, as we lean into what could be possible when we do so, I spoke to Levy Ajayi Jones, a New York Times bestselling author and speaker whose TED Talk and debut book covered justice. And now she's released her latest book just last week called The Professional Troublemaker. In this episode, Levy and I talk about the work it takes to get back to ourselves, what it means to betray ourselves, how to recognize when fear shows up, and knowing what to do when it does. And now, let's get into it. Levy Ajayi, so glad to have you on Life I Swear. March 2nd, the book was released professional troublemaker. I encourage everyone to purchase it. And I think this book, like much of your content, has an appeal to everyone. You know, there's no one that can't relate to wanting to know and be ourselves more, dreaming big, speaking our truth, and acting fearlessly. But I really have to say that there's something special and unique about the message when it's also told to an American audience from the voice of a Black woman an immigrant, and a Nija woman. So, and not all of us who have lived in those margins of American society um, have yet given themselves that permission to be bold and confident. 
but also being a champion of others to do the same in the way that you have. And so to start off, I know, you know, in the first chapter of Professional Troublemaker, you talk about knowing the fullness of who you are. So in your words, who is lovey? Mm. Ooh, I am a sister, daughter, wife, writer, speaker, forever student. Yeah, I am. I am a stubborn, <laughs> thoughtful, funny, uh, life explorer who is passionate about what she was brought to do on this planet. I love it. And you're a professional troublemaker. And I'm a professional right. troublemaker. <laughs> For sure. Yes, let's not forget that. So you've mentioned in the book, and I, I affirm all those things, and you mentioned in the book that professional troublemakers are often misunderstood. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, mm. and it's so true. But for a lot of people, being understood is the most affirming thing. Yeah. And it makes us it makes us feel loved or it makes us feel wanted. And if this was a room of recovering people pleasers, I would be like, my name is Chloe Luweza <laughs> and I'm recovering from not caring so much if I'm misunderstood. Mm. Um, and so was there ever a point when other people's perceptions really deeply mattered to you? I think the answer to that will will be yes, but I've always been clear that even if other people's perceptions could cut through my no the noise and cut through the spirit, that it wasn't my job to internalize it. So I've always been clear that when I find myself affected by the idea of what other people think, I always have to do the work to get back to myself. The work of getting back to yourself is really reminding yourself who you are. Absolutely. And I think it's important for us to do because the world will find ways to tell us who we are. And sometimes mm -hmm. if we're not sure who we actually are, we believe them. Right. Mm -hmm. And they might even have the best intentions. And sometimes it's the people we love at heart. But that's why that clarity is so important because we need it to keep us standing strong. Mm -hmm. And in reading your book, I think it, for me and for so many of us, a big part of us standing strong is reminding ourselves who we are, but also where we came from. Yeah. And, you know, the pillars of whether it's our parents or whether, you know, it's our, our culture of where we came from. And in your case, so much of your story is told through your experiences with your grandmother. And I love it. And it's clear that her her teachings and her example had a lot to do with, with kind of the pillars in which you stand on. Um, and so did you ever see, I'm wondering, a side of her that suggested what her fears could have been? That's a good question. Yeah, my grandmother, like a lot of older Black women, took no shit because they spent a whole life probably getting <laughs> people throwing all types of nonsense at them and mm -hmm. clearly all got to they all they all get to a point where they're like you know what i'm not taking this anymore yes. and mm -hmm. you know i think about what happens if we kind of approach life in that way before we turn 60 right because mm -hmm. they might not have 
always been that person, but they become that person. But that person is untouchable, unmovable in that they mm -hmm. won't be shifted from who they are. They tell you that this is who they are. This is who they are. And for me, my grandmother, have I ever seen her not be so sure? Mm, probably not. Because maybe in those quiet moments, she retreated and got herself together, but I didn't see it, you know? So there is a significance in watching that type of mm -hmm. power, that unshakable assurance. It's something that I hope I carry with me. And it's something that I didn't realize I was learning so much about until I looked back and said, oh, that's what that was. That reminds me of me myself. I have a four and a half year old and I'm always, he's watching. He's watching everything I do and everything I do, he'll absorb in the way that, you know, we watch our grandmothers too. But you also said in your book that your grandmother was one of those women who knew how to take up the space that she was given. We're told often, take up all the space, take up all the space. And it's interesting, the idea of like taking space, like claiming space that we didn't feel we already mm -hmm. had. But the way you wrote it, it's like, it's already yours. That taking up space is our right. You've also talked about being too much. There's that chapter of being, being too much of something um, is to be different when people say that they're really asking us to take up less mm -hmm. space. And when we concede to that, we're really betraying ourselves. To me, that's like the definition of staying true to yourself is not to betray yourself. But have you ever felt that you've betrayed yourself? Um, not in big ways. And I think sometimes, you know, when we think about mm -hmm. betraying ourselves, we might think it's in big moments. Sometimes it's in small moments, you know? Actually, mm -hmm. you know what? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I betray myself in the moments when I say yes to something that I know I want to say no to just to appease somebody, that's mm -hmm. a self-betrayal moment. Mm -hmm. That's a small moment, but it does mean it's, it's a little token. It's like compromising on our yes, boundaries. Yes, yes. It's like allowing our boundaries to be uh, crossed. But, you know, I think about how oftentimes that the betrayal in the small moments will lead to big betrayals of yourself. So it's why we have mm -hmm. to start learning what that looks like. And, you know, betrayal of self is not just like, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody is making you do something you don't want to, because sometimes we still need to do that thing for sure. I think it's our mm -hmm. actual values. Betrayal of our values is usually betrayal of self. It's not that you are being told to clean up your room and you don't feel like doing it. That's betraying yourself. No, it's that if you hold something dear, somebody asks you to mm -hmm. go against this value that's so important, that's betrayal. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, boundaries are often self-betrayal. Like, I don't like when strangers hug me. Like, I only want to hug people who I know. <laughs> but there were times when I would right. allow, I will allow strangers to hug me just because I didn't feel like bringing discomfort into the interaction. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. afterwards, I end up feeling less than optimal. Yeah. Yes. I feel like ah, it'll it'll bother me beyond the interaction. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, mm. I am betraying myself by not saying, hey, I don't hug. This is not a personal thing for you. It's not about you. It's just my boundary. You know, what mm -hmm. happens when we all start realizing what our real boundaries are? What are the things that make us feel encroached on? And how can we stop it from happening? Mm -hmm. I always refer to it as like intruders on my 
sanctuary, whatever that sanctuary is. If it's my vibe, if it's my physical body, if it's my peace, if it's my boundaries, you're intruding on my, on the sanctuary that I've created for myself. Yeah. And to that, for anyone else who has felt that they've been asked to betray themselves by being asked to be small, there's this quote that you say, it's when someone says you are too much, it is more of a statement of them than it is on you. That's just something to always remember too. And, and it goes back to what you said about it's not your job to internalize their perceptions or their insecurities and how they're projecting it on you. So I think just in my own practice of being self-aware, it's also being self-aware of the things I'm responsible of, but the things I'm also not responsible of to kind of echo what you said. Absolutely. And so you are a Niger woman through and through, but you came to the States much like myself in your adolescent years. And so there was the life in Nigeria with your grandmother and all that she and the women around you kind of bestowed on you. But then when you come to the States, there are different contexts to what little black girls should, how they should act and behave or what being loud is, if that's a strength or a or something to silence. Um, so take me back to when you were younger and came to the States at nine years old. And you said it was the first time your confidence was sort of shaken up a bit, but that by the time you got to college, where you were in community with other you know, people with similar backgrounds and, and more Black folks, you were able to kind of reclaim your Nija-ness. But what was the journey like between those two? Yeah, so being born and raised in Nigeria, it's a major culture shift to come to the United States. And being nine, that's the Mm -hmm. age when it's not cool to be different. Like, being the person Mm -hmm. who stands out, that's not cute what you want to do at nine. So coming here with this accent, (laughs) with this name, I instantly knew I was different. I instantly knew that we can't, like, I cannot fit in as easily as other kids would. And I realized that the thing that I loved, my culture, which I was proud of, still proud of, always proud of my name, which I love, is now too different and made to feel ugly. Embarrassment? It wasn't even embarrassment. Like shame? No, it was shame. I felt protective of it. I felt protective Mm. of it. I was like, I'm not ashamed of my name being Ifeo Lua. I love that, but I was like, I need to protect it from the ugly. I need to protect it from the burdens people would drop on it because it feels too difficult. So I didn't go Mm -hmm. by that name at school. I was LeVette at school. And for me, it was a moment where I actually, you know where you create sacred space. It's like where you find something that you cherish and you love it, which means Mm -hmm. you don't want everybody to have Mm -hmm. access to it. Right. Exactly. It was exactly that. So, but I also realized, like, okay, you're here now. You should probably sound more like them. So I would just listen to my classmates speak. And I was like, okay, I can talk like that. And literally just listening and just being Mm -hmm. immersed in it, I had lost most of my accent by by high school. But again, as a teenager, Mm -hmm. being different is not cool. Being different just got cool like three weeks ago. Like, (laughs) it just got cool like three weeks ago. (laughs) So we have to understand that like that sense of mind. And as a child, you are on team. Let me be like everybody else. And then, you know, it was no problem because I'd like adapted. And it's so quick. Yes. Yes. Like kids adapt so quickly. 
kids adapt so fast and that's a gift. But yeah, when I finally got to college and seeing like all this African student association, you know, all these African kids on the, on the, on the quad and meeting and them being like, oh, well, shoot, you know what? Here's where it's being cool to be different. Like college is when it starts getting cool to be like, yeah, I'm kind of different. Cool. Mm-hmm. But that's a gift too, because it reinforced to me that the thing that made me different, my culture, my native tongue actually made me cool because it was my superpower. And I, and I still, of course, chose to protect my name from every, cause they're not just going to start calling me a field. They'll mess that up so bad. But I still was like <laughs> duly noted, but y'all going to get this full Nigeria girl. Cause mind you through this whole process, I never stopped eating my jollof. I still brought, I still brought white rice and stew to school. So even as I was trying to protect myself, I only protected myself to a certain point. I was like, I'm still going to bring my rice and y'all going, y'all going to deal. And I did. It's so interesting when you're talking about um, how kid, how young kids assimilate at nine years old. I was in Niger and 90% of my friends were mm-hmm. from Nigeria. And mm-hmm. so um it was almost the reverse for me, but I love that you've, you've written this book. And I often think so, so often we see, and as I'm trying to kind of step into the name of being a writer myself, writers often write books to or for themselves. Um, and I know I personally did. It's this like process of articulating Mm -hmm. who you are, what you stand for, how you're processing the world around you. You've been transparent about this in your book, but as you're encouraging people to be fearless, that doesn't mean that you still don't have to face fear every day yourself, even in their micro ways. I can name off 10 things I'm still working through as I'm a messenger. I'm also working through some of the like the mm-hmm. internal messes of myself. As we all are heal people. There's still some healing uh-huh. that needs to be done. Yes, as you're speaking fearlessness into the world, what are some of the negative narr- narratives in your head, whether fear-based or or otherwise, that have become cyclical that you've had to speak fearlessness into? So the thing about fear is that you don't stop being scared just because you're successful. You don't stop being mm-hmm. afraid of the world of consequences of things just because you've made a certain amount of money or have a certain title. And I think that's why it was really important for me to write this book about fear and be honest about it and use myself and my, my, and my grandma's story because I think people assume that certain emotions are out of your reach based on your prominence. And I think it's really important for us to normalize Mm -hmm. the fact that like fear is the most, it's one of the most universal emotions. Like there's nothing wrong with you if you're afraid of a decision that feels too big or of a moment or of a conversation. There's nothing wrong with you if you have anxiety or doubt about a decision that you're not used to making. So I wanted to write this because I'm just like, yo, I show up in the world as bold as I possibly can every single day as a life habit. 
even I still mm-hmm. grapple with fear and always will to a certain point because again, fear is normal. Anxiety is normal. Quick doubt is normal. But what happens and what we must do is figure out where the fear is from and also what we're going to let it make us decide because a lot Mm. of times fear is our number one factor for decision-making and this book exists Mm -hmm. with the hope that you start recognizing the moments when fear is showing up and you are also cognizant of what you do because of it are you stopping yourself from doing the thing you want to do from asking for the raise for applying for the job for having that conversation or are you saying yes i know i'm nervous i know this scares me but i'm going to do it regardless and i hope in the moments when people are feeling anxious but feeling really compelled to do something that they pick the choice that's i know i'm scared I'm still going to do it. And I love that in the book too, you share tools to remind yourself of those exact things. And one of the the ones that I love is the origi because it is so audacious in thinking beyond what we have been too scared to claim for ourselves as big and as royal and as flamboyant as we want. But I want you to explain what an oriki is to give it some So an oriki is a hype mantra. In Yoruba land, which is where I'm from, it is the way that we remind you of who you are, where you come from, your people. It reminds you what your obligations are because even beyond yourself, who do you represent? Who, you, who makes you proud? Who would you fight for? And an oriki reminds you of how dope you are, right? Because if you are reminded of your ancestry, if you are reminded from the people you come from, if you are reminded that people and in in, in what runs through you has, has seen worse, it should empower you to say, you know what, I got this. I don't think that fear will have as much power when you know that you have that because it is a soft space to land. You know, it's knowing that, hey, that thing that you're afraid of, okay, if the worst case scenario happens, you're going to be all right. You'll be all right. But oftentimes that worst case scenario doesn't happen. So your Riki is like, let me remind you of who you be, how dope you are. Like people got you messed up out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. It's kind of to remind you of yes. your majesty. Before we, um, before we close out, how has your Riki changed over the um, Because you've shared what your Riki is now in the book. We're learning more. We're growing more. We're accomplishing more. There's more of our essence our womanhood to feel prouder of with each passing year um so how has yours um i don't know because i didn't write one for myself until a few years ago and i think it'll change depending on what you are Mm -hmm. um what you are prioritizing in that moment it'll change depending on it can you know you you don't even have to write it more than once every few years or maybe once every 10 years so i think it's one of those things that it doesn't even matter what it was. I think who it is now is what matters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. I agree. I love it. Thank you so much, Lovey. This has been great. I'm so appreciative of your voice. Um, it is truly a voice of our time. And so I encourage everyone to pick up 
the book Professional Trouble. Thank you so much for having me, Chloe, and for seeing my work and finding value in it. It means a lot when people invite me to share space with them. Thank you for listening to Life I Swear. You can follow Life I Swear on Instagram. And if you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcast fix. And learn more at lifeiswear.com. I hope you join me next week for another episode. In the meantime, be well, friend.